Hello again! Here's some bonus material from one of my most popular episodes from the first season. Episode 6, titled Do Not Pass Go. An episode about monopoly, irony, and the game's original message that we all missed. In this clip, I talk about the direction of the episode and some of the feedback I received, which leads to a digression about how companies lie to you within the first 10 seconds of interacting with you. Oh, and I also talk about a study I ended up cutting from the final recording about irony and emotion. Enjoy! Like most of my favorite episodes from the first season, this one was born out of curiosity. It was this question I asked myself, how is it possible that everyone owns Monopoly and virtually everyone seems to hate playing it? We all have these horror stories from playing the game, right? So I had started by asking, you know, how did Monopoly become not just one of the world's most popular board games, but one of the world's best-selling toys? From there, I discovered the works of Mary Pillen and Rolf Ansbach, two people who I think are most responsible for popularizing the lesser-known origin story of the game. So, from a social science perspective, there were probably three different rabbit holes I could have gone down. One was Charles Darrow, this unemployed salesman at the height of the Great Depression, capitalizing on this board game he comes across on a game night with friends. And this question of, you know, whether you view him as a thief or an opportunist. The second was Parker Brothers covering up the real origin story of Monopoly for nearly a century. And the third, which was the one I ultimately spent the most time on, was trying to understand why Elizabeth McGee's original intention for creating Monopoly, which was to teach people the dangers of oligarchy and anti-competitive business practices, why that backfired so dramatically. After the episode aired, I received a lot of feedback asking about what I thought of that second discussion point, about how Parker Brothers trotted out this false narrative, the Charles Darrow origin story, for decades to help sell their game, even though they knew it wasn't the full story. So here's a quick take on that one. I take objection to what they did, but I think if I had explored this in greater detail in the episode, I would have considered some nuance. Because companies engage in revisionist history in the pursuit to market their products all the time. Organizations lie to you for a million different reasons, just like people do. In fact, I bet I can convince you that your favorite company lies to you. Here's an example I've posed to people. Think of a company that you admire. Think of a company that you hold head and shoulders above the others in terms of their integrity, their honesty, or their transparency. I'm going to try to demonstrate that that company lies to you within the first 10 seconds of your interaction with them. So go ahead and call their main corporate phone number. Before you get to a list of touch-tone choices, you know, press 1 for this, press 2 for that, I bet you'll hear some derivative of the following phrase. Please listen carefully as our phone options have recently changed. 
Have you ever noticed how untrue that is? Have you ever noticed that just about every company tells you that? But if you're a frequent caller of that number, you've probably noticed that they rarely, if ever, change their phone options. It's this lie that companies all tell, and I wonder if they even realize they're doing it. I imagine they put that line in for a couple of reasons. One, it saves time and aggravation for their call operators, because a lot of people that would jump the phone tree without listening to the options probably end up choosing the wrong one. And two, that helps you, the consumer, because you'll only become more annoyed if you get to the wrong department and they have to transfer you again. But ultimately, that line about the phone tree recently changing, it's a lie. You could argue its purpose is virtuous or it has good intentions, but it's a lie. However, consider the alternative option. Would you rather them tell you the truth? Please listen carefully because your memory is fallible and your overconfidence in choosing the right option will ultimately waste everyone's time. Probably not. So let's play this out. If you're Parker Brothers, it's the middle of the Great Depression and business isn't booming. All of a sudden, you're sitting on this board game that has this potential of being a cash cow. It's a game that underscores the so-called American dream, you know, starting with nothing and turning it into unimaginable wealth. So wouldn't the myth of Charles Darrow be a better marketing message than the truth? Did you expect them to say, hey, consumers, this game was originally invented by a progressive activist to convince society that anti-competitive business practices doom small business and the middle class. But people didn't get what she was trying to teach us, and then an unemployed salesman came across it and pretended he invented it. Yeah, you probably don't want to lead with that. And once Parker Brothers bought the patent from McGee for her game, they had the legal right to do what they wanted with it, which included writing her out of the story. I don't defend what Parker Brothers did, but I do think if we're going to criticize companies for lying to us, we should consider all the ways we're lied to. I think this is something I could have spent an entire episode exploring. One digression I had explored in the first draft of the recording that I ended up cutting before publishing centered around this study from the Journal of Memory and Language from 2017. It had to do with irony and emotion. I cut it because it wasn't really relevant to the episode, but it is interesting, so I'll share it here. In the study, researchers found that people initially deem ironic criticism more hurtful than literal criticism. But the researchers found that over time, people actually shift their feelings. They actually swap them. As time passes, they typically deem literal criticism as more hurtful than ironic criticism. And they actually end up finding the ironic criticism more amusing. To me, what's most interesting about this finding is how much our emotions can change and how we might respond to the same criticism differently depending on delivery, expectation, and how much time has passed from originally hearing it. It's almost like at first we give people bonus points for being transparent with us in their criticism, but the more we think about it and stew over it, the more we end up coming to resent it. I don't know that we should always deliver our criticism with irony or sarcasm, but it does raise an interesting question about how we'll come to remember it. 
What makes this episode one of my favorites is that it really examines the faults on both sides. Meaning it allows us, the audience, to consider ways in which we often misinterpret what someone is trying to tell us. But it also puts the onus on the communicator, and rightfully so, to consider meaning, message, and medium. I mean, ultimately, if everyone misses the point of your argument or your political stance or your marketing message, who is really to blame? 